Hello, everybody, and welcome back. My name is Sharon. I'm one of the co-hosts, and you're about to hear a conversation between me and Ethan Sawyer, otherwise known as the College Essay Guy. That's right. He works with kids working on their personal statements as they embark on this new chapter. He is an Amazon best-selling author for two books. One is called The College Essay Essentials. The other one is called The College Admission Essentials. This conversation is really interesting, especially getting the insight of what is it like to work with this age group and how he steers them to go inward, to connect to their values to connect to what they're calling into their future, to what they care about, the impact that they want to have on our earth. He talks about his process and how this theme of slowing down, creating space, continues to be something that, a gift that he got from the process and something that continues to show up in his life. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Sharon Moore, and I'm one of your hosts. And on this podcast, we talk to Hoffman graduates about how their courageous journey inward impacted their personal lives, but also how it impacted their community and the world at large. So tune in and listen in and hear how our graduates' authentic selves, how their love, how their spirits are making a positive impact on our world today. In other words, get to know their love's everyday radius. All right, Ethan Sawyer, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So Ethan, as you know, we are in the Hoffman podcast as much and as eager as I am to talk about other things. We will put that on hold just momentarily. And I always love to start with what initially brought you to the Hoffman process? A few things. One, I have a close friend who's been working with Hoffman for years and years. And, you know, it had been in my periphery for a long time. And so that's like the, the true one that I shouldn't leave out. And then also, you know, I, I'm trying to track, I don't think there was like a thing that was like that I was like struggling through. Like I didn't have, I, I didn't feel particularly blocked. I was just like really excited to, to dig deep into myself for, you know, what ended up being nine days. Um, and I knew that we, we just, my wife and I, I, of course I said that there wasn't a big thing in my life, but my wife and I had just given birth to our daughter. Well, she had given birth. I helped sort of, and, um, you know, some things were shifting in my life. And so, I had the sense that now would be a good time. I think, and this is going to sound sort of mysterious, but I think I'm going to leave it here. I think I was ready. And I don't think I could have known or predicted what, you know, what would happen at Hoffman. But I was like, you know, sort of ready for whatever it might be. And I knew that I would, or I expected, I should say, that I would be uh, learning some things about my operating system, we'll call it. And I certainly did. Well, I, I actually feel like that's that makes sense. This this thing that you say is mysterious, but makes perfect sense to me is well, you were ready. You were ready to be open. You were ready to be willing. You were ready to make changes. And even though it was unknown, you just knew you were ready. Was there something about this close friend of yours that embodied that? I love, I mean, I'm to give some context, like I love we'll just call it personal growth work. Like I'm kind of a, my, like my bookshelf is like 65% 
nonfiction self-help books. And so I don't want to go so far as, because I don't like the connotation of like saying I'm a junkie for this, but I do think that it's something that I think about a lot in terms of like, how can I keep growing and what can I keep learning? And I, you know, for some time was going to a men's group and, you know, for the last whatever, 15 or so years, a group of uh, my community, you know, we've gone out to Burning Man each year and have formed a community there that's about creating a space for radical intimacy. So I, I, I think I seek out these experiences that will allow me to become more intimate with myself and with others in a container. I really, really appreciated one of the things I appreciate about Hoffman was the container that was created. I felt like you can get a lot done at Hoffman. <laughs> And part of that was the container that was set up. And so I think I look for high growth, high impact container experiences, to put it one way. I think that's an accurate way to talk about the process. High growth, high impact. Speaking of the growth and impact, was, was there a moment in the process that felt like a pivotal or magical or memorable moment for you? Yeah. You know, it's funny because there, there were two. And the first one I was just about to name. And then I it just disappeared what the actual phrase was it was i'm going to i'm going to speak about it but there's going to have to be like some brackets here because i don't remember what the exact phrase was but it was like oh let me tell you what it was it was one of the facilitators was sharing deeply about was being really vulnerable and this was a facilitator who i had experienced as being somewhat vulnerable but like suddenly just dropped into like full vulnerability and was just sharing about like her core thing and she said and this is where the brackets come in, like this phrase. And it was like her core, I mean, I don't know if I would use the word wound, but it felt like that. And I was like, oh, and it just like knocked my head back. I was like, that's me. And I saw myself in her reflection. And it was like a reminder to me of like, yeah, when we can like key into like that deep part of ourselves and just share from it you know, with humility. Sometimes, you know, someone's gonna, that might be a mirror for someone. And it was certainly a mirror moment for me. And then pretty like a, like the next day or like later that day, I went outside and looked at the fountain and I think the fountain is still there. I haven't been back since, but the fountain, there's that quote near it or on it that says, when you change, the whole world changes or when you change everything changes or something like that and i was like oh yeah that feels and it was sort of it felt like it threaded the needle for a lot of what i was experiencing that week this was some some years ago do you, are there moments in your life where you can tell wow this this work is still with me this the the work i did at hoffman still lives in my life here's how i know yeah i was just rereading this morning actually i was rereading a letter that i wrote to the Hoffman crew afterwards and just saying thank you for the experience. And some of the things that I was noting there are, are, are like still resonant. Like there was something that Raz or that's, I think somebody said about how your brain changes when you're there. And I, I do have some sense of that, that, that my brain shifted, that the ways that I'm processing potential triggers, for example, with a little more awareness, a little bit more slowness. I mean, there are still some ways that like I look at the things that I was really grateful for having changed on. For example, there was a way in my letter that I was like, I'm now more balanced in my life and work. <laughs> Five years later, I'm like, is that true? I don't know if that's true. Like, I, I sort of still look at that with curiosity. Like, there's some way that I sense there's a slowness. I feel like Hoffman is like a real anchor for me in that slowness, but I think it's only there for me if I choose it. And I think that if I 
if I'm choosing other things, for example, if I'm choosing to just, for example, in my work, just go a hundred miles an hour as I did yesterday, for example, I'm not creating a lot of space for quote unquote Hoffman in my life. And what I mean by that is like the sort of stillness or slowness and attention to self or attention to spirit or even my body. Like, what am I feeling and what am I, you know, what am I noticing in a given moment? Like, if I'm not making space for that, then that's a thing. So, they're on a practical level. <laughs> so, I'll just get like real specific and like real practical. Like, some ways that I'm choosing more slowness in my life. And I don't know if this is directly related to Hoffman or just directed, you know, based on my growth over the last few years, but like, I don't check my email first thing when I get up in the morning. And that's a way that I'm choosing. I won't even call it slowness, but it's like not choosing speed and the to-do and having every breakfast and every dinner with you know my daughter and my wife. And that's part of the way the pandemic has sort of allowed us to do that. That's a way of choosing slowness. But I think on sort of like a larger level, and I'm going to, again, I'm just going to keep it real practical. Not over scheduling is what it looks like for me. And to speak it in a positive sense, like creating gaps for unscheduled time, which I'm not doing. Like I'm not doing it this week. When I think about Hoffman, like what it means or what it represents in my life, there's a sort of anchor point. And there's a, like right now, as I talk to you today, Sharon, like there's like a longing that I have, like a missing of myself. And Hoffman sort of represents that, like a sort of returning to myself. So that's what I'm present to today. Yeah, that's that's a big part of the Hoffman process is actually remembering who you are. So that makes that makes great sense. You know, one thing we we suspect is too weak of a word, but one thing we have noticed is when people do this work on themselves, going to the Hoffman process, prioritizing yourself, like you said, being ready to do this kind of work. When they come back to the world, they come back with a bigger sense of Connection to the community, connection to the world, connection to their impact beyond themselves. Can you speak to that? Was that your experience? And if so, how did that show up? It was at first. Like, I definitely had the Hoffman high or, or whatever you want to call it, like the high of coming off of an incredibly impactful experience and just feeling like, not only am I different. I'm forever going to be different. <laughs> and boy, I hope I stay like this. And so I had these experiences of like, wow, this is awesome. And of course, there's like a contradiction in that where it's like, well, you can't hold on to that thing. And that just seems silly. But I could have taken more opportunities to reconnect with, for example, like specifically the Hoffman community. It was tricky for me because just the logistics of where I was living, like it was harder to do that in person. I would have liked that. And I'm still like, even now, open to that. I'm excited about that potential. But in terms of larger, like outside the Hoffman community, yeah, I think especially in the months that followed, I was, I just moved through the world with more openness and I'll go back to this word of slowness. But I, I think the other thing that was happening for me in my life right around that time was now at that point I had like a six month old. And so I shifted and, and my wife wasn't uh, working that I sort of took on this new role of quote unquote provider, capital P. And I shifted into work mode. And, and this was a, a, a big shift for me because I think I would, I've identified as like an artist uh, before that. But then suddenly I was like an entrepreneur. I shifted into this new mode of like, must earn 
And that continued for like the next, I mean, I'd really say like for the next seven years up until like a year ago or so when I feel like I've sort of started to get some perspective on it and started to get some stability and certainty. But I think that if I would like term this last seven years of my life, it's been like build a business. Right before Hoffman, I had just shifted from moving away. Like I basically just started it. And so really I'd started two businesses. And and it, and it was sort of like, okay, let's let us let us do this. Let's try this. And let's see what this sort of it wasn't quite freelance. Well, part of it, it was freelance, but it was like, can I make an earn earn a living on my own without getting a sort of steady paycheck? And just so much of my attention went there. And it was like only and i would say this has been true for the last six or seven years for me it was only like work and family what went away was like less time with friends and certainly less time with self turning inward and looking at reading poetry for example and those things that i would term like going for walks by myself that i would say like are you know those those practices that would connect me back to spirit or self my values were much more heavily it was just like let's go all in on certainty and stability You know, I think that what I chose, to, the way I chose to spend my day and family w- reflected that. And so you are the college guy. This is the business you're speaking of, college essay guy. College essay guy, yeah. <laughs> so what, what does the college essay guy do? Hmm. There's the surface level answer, and then there's like the, the deeper, like heart centered answer. The surface level answer is like when it comes time for students, it's hard to do the surface level answer. I don't even think I can do it. But when it comes time for students to write, their create their college applications my website we we provide a lot of free resources for helping students do that and for helping counselors when they're helping their students do that and then the deeper answer is like i feel like there aren't too many rites of passage in our culture in our i'll speak about american culture for a second that are like here's the thing when you're going from like kid to young adult and i think that the writing of the personal statement and going who am I discovering myself to be and creating an account of that? It's an incredible experience and it can be transformational. And so it's kind of Hoffman-esque in its sense of like taking an account of like, who have I been? What have I, what have I valued in the past? And is this, what, as I look into my future, what am I calling in? And you create this like 650 word, <laughs> you know, piece of that. And it's, demonstrating your skills and your qualities and your values and it can be really you know incredibly affirming just doing that part of it and then there are all these other pieces to it but really it's sort of like who am i and what am i about what do i care about and how does that manifest itself in the world and that process is the one that i try to help facilitate through pay what you can workshops and online courses um you know one-on-one help etc you know one of the things that we're really committed to and i want to say this sort of in the same breath it's like we're really committed to and trying to find ways to do this in a way that feels equitable because there are a lot of organizations out there and even folks in sort of the same realm of like educational consulting that it's really it can be really expensive and so we're trying one of the things we try and do is really find ways to to make it really affordable for folks and that's why we have a crap ton of free resources (laughs) so okay i have a million questions here so um earlier you said i had considered myself an artist does this an, it, does this encompass your creative spirit? Oh, for sure. Like, and in ways that I couldn't have predicted. You know, I, I went to graduate. I went to college for you know performance studies, uh, which is what I describe as like thinking about theater. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a degree called performance studies. 
Oh yeah, it was so cool. And we did figuring out lighting in rooms and how do you turn a piece of literature into a live experience for an audience that feels, you know, immediate and feels visceral and all those things. And how do we perform in everyday life? You know, what are the ways that we perform? Why how am I performing the role of like podcast guest right now? And you are performing the role of interviewer and looking at those things and then what happens if we switch? You know, if I were to ask you right now, like, what's it like hearing this? You know, the way that that would sort of shift our roles. And then spending a lot of time and energy thinking about that and then going to graduate school for acting and spending a lot of time thinking about the voice and how it makes sound and Shakespeare and Chekhov, blah, blah, blah. And then going out of the world, creating community-based theater through Cornerstone Theater Company in LA. And then suddenly, you know, having had this job helping students with their essays, I was like, oh, like I'm, there's some core values here at work here, like vulnerability, connection, personal growth development, like, and all these things I'm able to find to meet these needs and to explore these things through this process in a way that feels really fun and actually in some ways more immediate. And also the other thing is I was becoming a new father is like, and it seems like this, this will actually potentially lead to more income (laughs) and more stability. I think those things all sort of like coalesce to like push me down this path. Um, But it really feels like uh, when I think of the creative spirit, like I'm able to really manifest, you know, my desire to write and to create resources and my need for contribution are really all met through this this role (laughs) that I play as college essay guy. Interesting. And what about this age group? They're, they're what, 16, 17? When I think about that age, when I think about my own self at that age, I don't know that I could have answered my, let me just say it this way. My answer to what do you care about? What do you value? I don't remember the other things you said. Who have I been? What am I calling in? I think my answer is would have changed so many times between the time I was 16 to the time I am today. And mainly because to your point of being ready, uh, there was a readiness I lacked at that point to go to the level of depth that I can today. But what's your experience with their capacity? I mean, it's such a big range, right? Like some students, I was, I was, in fact, I was meeting with a student two days ago. We were looking, talking about his personal statement and we paused and I said, I want you to take a look at this other essay. And I just showed it to him because it's a student who's applying to the same school that he wants to get into. And he finished reading it. And I was like, what do you think? And he's like, wow. He's like, that's a lot deeper than mine. I was like, say more. And he was like, yeah, I just feel like my story is about, and he kind of like told the superficial version, which wasn't far from (laughs) what my read would have been. And I was like, and what do you think about that? And he was like, (sighs) and he kind of was silent. I said, what is this? What is the story? Of, what is your essay about? Like, what do you want them to know about you? Like on a deeper level. And he just paused and he was like, I wish I'd known. I wish I'd been thinking about this. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, I mean, do you, I was like, cause what I thought he meant. And I asked him, I was like, do you mean like, you wish I'd told you this earlier so that you wouldn't have wasted the time writing these drafts. <laughs> and he was like, no, no, I wish like I had thought about this before now in my life. And in, inside, I just kind of like was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, and I said to him, I was like, this is what we're here for. I was like, this is what this is about. I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't about this, these kinds of questions. And we were, we were at time. And so I said, 
I want you to think about this. I said, I want to end on this question. I know this isn't like tying it up with a neat little bow, but I want to like, I want you to think about this. Like, what is this story about? Like, what do you really want them to know? And that, I mean, that was two days ago. So we'll see what he says next week. But I think that some students are ready. Some students might be ready, but they don't know <laughs> until someone asks them some of these questions. And I think what's neat about the sort of carrot of getting into college is that they're motivated to like do some of this deeper work because as we've set it up in this American system of going to college, you kind of get bonus points for things like personal insights and vulnerability. And that's not true in every you know educational system. When you apply to the UK, for example, it's how have you prepared for this particular subject? But in the US system, you get points for, for you know, here's an insight that I've developed about who I've been. And some students are so ready and some students, you know, and this is part of the sort of Zen and the art of (laughs) essay coaching is like, you kind of have to calibrate based on like where a student's at and not every student's going to be vulnerable and go, here's who I am. And some are like really ready to go there. And do you find that they, they try to be somebody that they think the college wants them to be, or, you know, there must be a certain quote unquote personality to each college. And so I imagine in that age, if not as adults, right, it's hard to go deeper into who am I versus what do they want to hear? Yeah. Yeah. So there's like, there's a poem (laughs) that's, um, it's, it's called the need to, the archer's need to win. And it goes, and this is like, I was thinking about this poem yesterday, but the poem has a nice analogy for the process. So it says, when an archer is shooting for fun, he has all his skill. If he shoots for a brass buckle, he's already nervous. If he shoots for a prize of gold, he goes blind or sees two targets. He's out of his mind. His skill has not changed, but the prize divides him. He cares. He thinks more of winning than of shooting. And the need to win drains him of power. And so I think when students start to think about quote unquote getting into college or whatever that brass buckle or that bag of gold is, then I think then that can drain them of their power. <laughs> and so there are some like really practical ways of like, for example, don't have the student look at the prompt. And in fact, just because there is like they have the option to just choose topic of their choice and instead give them exercises that allow them to go deep and figure out, you know, what are, what are the things that I have to offer and what is, how does that story want to tell itself? And there, there are more specific ways, like there are some specific ways of doing that, but that it basically gets them focused on the shooting and the form. And this is like, you know, Zen and the art of archery, right? Of like focusing on the form as opposed to hitting the target. And if we can sort of focus on the form and get the student focused inward and thinking, for example, about things like core values and answering so what and digging deeper, well, you know, the cool result of that is that sometimes that leads to a really cool personal statement. And oh, by the way, sometimes that leads to like getting into college, but we're not aiming to quote unquote, here's what they want. Because I mean, big picture, like colleges are looking for mm, relatively the same things. They want intellectual vitality. They want to see your curiosity. They want to see that, you know, you can think critically, you know, and if you can kind of do a certain set of things, then it's like, okay, you're, you're doing, you're doing good. (laughs) You're putting yourself in a, in as good a position as you can, you can. And, and the main thing is like, and I think this is so true in the pandemic. Somebody asked me yesterday on an interview, like, what advice would you give to students in the pandemic? And it's like, focus on what you can control. 
right? Because on the same darn interview, someone else was being like, there's so much you don't know. And, you know, there's so much, you know, and it was part of a pitch for like, therefore work with us one-on-one. And I was just like, I kind of, I just felt sick to my stomach a little bit. And I said, look, the process is pretty much the same as it's ever been. You still need to do a personal statement and activities list, and you got to figure out which schools you're going to apply to. But there's, you know, focus on the things that you can control because trying to manage all the rest of it is just like, is just maddening and crazy making. And so, and I'll, and I'll try and catch when students will ask a question and they'll say, for example, do schools care about da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, is that something you can control? <laughs> Cause if not, then like, you know, so I'm kind of preaching to myself here. Cause I'm, <laughs> <laughs> what about something came to me about your own personal growth in this role here you are working with this audience that is you know just kind of starting to get to know themselves but also like you said their eye is on the prize you know how do you how does your personal growth come into this do you get attached do you end up feeling bad if they didn't get into the college they want do you end up questioning your guidance like how, how does that play out in your own personal internal world mostly no I think I've had enough experiences where students, if we're talking just about like where students get into college, for example, where like incredibly accomplished students who like were on the cover of like, li- like literally on the cover of like People magazine as like top change makers in the world got deferred or rejected from certain schools that they were like incredibly qualified for. And and I just kind of throw my hands up each year because it's so unpredictable, like where students will actually get in. I think like, I don't take that as much personally. I'm kind of like, well, that's the way it went. And that's not what, you know, parents who are like interested in like, no, this is the most important thing to me, like where my kid gets in. That's not what they want to hear necessarily. But I, but I, I think like, or at least that's like kind of the surface level thing they don't want to hear. But I think on a deeper level, like I'm trying to refocus and be like, what's what's really like a successful process? And for some, the, the answer will be like where I get in. And it's like, okay, sure. <laughs> Are there other possibilities? You know, and again, this comes back to like the things that we can control. And it's like, if, I feel like if a student's gone through, you know, I feel like that's the best that I could do. Like that is me. <laughs> and if they don't accept me, like whatever, like, cause that's the best that I could do. And that's, I feel like that's all we can do. So I, I think I, where I'll be more, di- where I'm more disappointed is when a student feels like, yeah, that wasn't my best shot, or I didn't feel like I worked hard enough, or I didn't feel like I landed on the topic for me, or whatever that was. Like I think I'm more apt to feel disappointment there, where it feels like there's a gap between what could have been in the realm of what we could control versus the what could have been in the realm of the things that we couldn't control. What would you say is your uh, growth edge in this line of work? your personal growth edge. So the first thing that's coming to mind is like learning to have like even lighter touches, which is hard with 17 year olds sometimes. Cause I want to be more sort of like give the one line of feedback and it's like, ah, and then they go off and do the work, <laughs> you know, whereas I, I think my tendency is to kind of get in there more and over explain or sort of oversteer, and, and not to the extent of like, you know, saying you should write this instead. But I, I, as I look at, you know, I think I was actually even, I'm, I'm better at this than I've, than I've been, but I think it, earlier on, I was sort of like more directive. And I think I've be- become better at asking questions 
but I think I could even still be better. I sort of imagine the the 60 or 70 year old version of me that's still doing this because I could still see myself doing this. That just that is sort of like that just really chill like old dude who like wears the sweaters. <laughs> like the old therapist that I have in my mind that just like asks the question and then just sits in silence. So, I think I could be more silent in my sessions with students. And I think, yeah, I mean, this comes back to this notion of slowness. I mean, even as I'm talking about it, I'm like slowing down a little bit. So I think I could probably go slower. Well, I wonder what's happening there. Is it, is it that you don't trust that they'll get there without you? Is it that you feel rushed? Is it like, what's actually the, the thing that is driving that to not be as light of a touch? Yeah, I like this question. Yeah, there's something related to control. It's funny because I do value mystery, but there's a way that I'm resisting it, the sort of the unknown of what might happen in that silence and with the, the one question as opposed to the five sentences. So what's happening for me in that moment? There's something, I mean, I can see, I can feel it right now. Like there is a way that I, I and part of it is because of the podcast format, but even on like, I think about like webinars that I do, I think I fear radio silence <laughs> because I think that folks go, are they still there? And so there's some like questioning of the connection or like potential break in the connection. That's just maybe right now. Cause I think if a student, if I'm sitting in front of them, they know I'm still there. Yeah. And I see this manifest, like when I play, when I do host game nights, it's like, I want to be like, all right, let's play this game. So there's something around control. Like, I mean, I know what the trade-off is. Cause like, if I pick the game, I can sort of guarantee we're going to have like a six or seven out of 10 good time, you know, like we're pretty sure we're going to have a pretty good time. I know experiences that I've had where I didn't know coming in what we were going to play and it turned into a 10. And I just wonder if I'm like, if that extra energy that's spent controlling it is sort of putting this ceiling on things of like, we're going to kind of cap out at seven because, or, or at least I'm going to cap out at seven because I'm spending this extra energy sort of like managing the experience in this other way. Wow. That is fascinating. You just said something so interesting. So uh, can you, can I flip it for just a second? Like what landed for you there? Yeah. So, so just using the game metaphor, but taking that into so many different parts of, of life, right? So when you go into the familiar, the known, the game that you already plan, guaranteed six or seven. When you go into the unknown, which you already said, you already named it. I value mystery, but I also resist it. When you have that mystery, it's unknown, it's unplanned. That six or seven, which is not guaranteed, often turns into a 10. Maybe, right? It's also, it could be a two, right? <laughs> yeah. Is that two or what, what happens more often? I, it's hard to track. But what I'm curious about, like what landed for you, like just again, just to flip it for a second, but is there like a personal resonance for you in that? Is there a personal resonance? Yeah, probably the, the just reaffirming the power of letting go, the power of being in mystery. And, and you said something about potential break in connection and where, what I, where I was going to go with that also, while I was going to ask you is, does it feel like you need to work for connections? And if so, that's why the radio silence would be terrifying. Was, oh, what's happening? What's happening? It's a little unknown. Whereas the radio silence sometimes is just the space that we need. It's just the silent that we need. It's the slowness, to use your word, that we need for integration or even maybe to go a little deeper in the connection. How often do we plan the guaranteed six or seven and risk missing the 10, the unpredictable, mysterious 10? 
it's just fat. It's I, I find that fascinating. Did, like, does that show up in other parts of your life? Yeah. You know, where I recognized it most recently was when I was sort of being critical of a friend of mine who sort of keeps it in that, I don't know what the word is, but like that sort of five to eight range of like, everything's pretty good, pretty chill. <laughs> Not, you know, Dwayne Wade, the basketball player once said, you know, we don't get too high. We don't get too low. Meaning like big wins and big losses. We don't celebrate too much. We don't get too down because we got to kind of keep it in the middle because that's like sort of optimal mental space, I guess. And, and I think when I was thinking about my critique of this friend, I was just thinking about like how often, how much I'm trying to keep it in that middle range. And I think that this connects back to my sort of like seeing myself in this provider role how do I <laughs> continue to keep the engine going, you know, the, for making sure that we have stability and certainty, you know, for, I mean, by we, I mean, in my family, it's not to say that I don't take breaks. Like I definitely do take breaks from that. There are ways that I, you know, can pop out of that, but I think I've spent a lot of energy sort of keeping it steady and making sure that we're on course, the tracks are laid and we are you know, I'm continuing to shovel coal into the into the engine um, so that the train keeps going. And so continuing on this provider, and I know we're getting towards the end, but I do want to still touch on, uh, you said pay what you can. How Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. Well, w- one of the things that I early on was like, <laughs> when I thought about these these virtual events that we do, I was just like, you know, it doesn't cost us really much more at all to to just open it up so that people can pay whatever they want for these courses. And it's really important for me that these resources get out to anybody who wants them. And I don't even think that like, like if a hundred people are paying and 50 people aren't like, I don't think that that's too different of an experience when we're talking about, for example, an online course or online event. In fact, it could be easily argued that having 50 folks who couldn't pay, but who are participating in the event increases the value for everyone. And I say this to other folks who are considering doing this. I'm like, do pay what you can because why not? <laughs> you know, and if the answer is like, well, because then it diminishes the experience before, for people who are paying, like I would really go, is that true? <laughs> Katie, you know, Byron, Katie, that can that, can we absolutely know that that's true? Could the opposite be true? <laughs> you know, I, that's been from when we started doing these online courses like eight years ago, it's been a, thing that we've we've stuck to and for students and for counselors or i sense that hoffman's been doing some of that but i just want to like encourage anybody who's like does online events and these kinds of things as, as more and more people are doing to just not just do it and like just to look good but like make it actually really accessible in other words there you know there, it's it can be such a shame you know inducing thing for folks to like ask for a pay what you can spot but like, just to get real tactical for a second, like, you know, one of the things we learned is that we have to go beyond just being like, oh, we have a few pay what you can spots to be like, you can pay this price or this price or this price, pick one, <laughs> you know, and just having those next to each other and not sort of like tucked away in the corner, like, you know, you can ask for a scholarship, but like, because that can be hard and it can, it creates barriers, especially for folks who are already thinking about like, you know, money a lot and connecting it to self-worth and i'm not saying this is true for everyone but i just what i would say like anybody who's considering doing this i know this is super tactical but like is think about and and talk to folks about like does this feel like um you can access this whatever it is and being really intentional about that 
Yeah, I I know that right when the pandemic started, my my the organization that I co-founded, we work with kids, we work with youth, and we did something similar where we just we put honor codes out there, and we kind of had an honor system pricing, and um, what we ended up finding, and I, I don't know if you found a similar thing, is people had the option to pay whatever they wanted to pay. So yes, there was a full price, but you could donate more if you wanted to, or you could pay less, or you could pay nothing. And ultimately, when it all averaged out, we still kind of were at this, you know, because people who could pay paid more, people who couldn't, didn't lose dignity, were just able to get in the same process, no difference. And at the end, the average was pretty close to the same. It was a beautiful way to see that those who can give and those who can't have the same exact experience. And that's beautiful. Well, if we're looking at sort of a quote unquote success of a program and we're measuring it just by revenue, like that is one way of measuring it. But when we think about, I'm I'm like doing my hands at the side, like impact and who is being impacted and how that's rippling out. Like there is a multiplier, I think, on the impact that's beyond. And by that, I mean like, who and how many people are also able to access the resources that I think multiplies the impact of that, you know, of, of, of just the, the, the sort of revenue, the bottom, the bottom line, as it were, you know, I, I really love when folks talk about being double bottom line companies, you know, we're not just here for, you know, making revenue, but like, we also have an access goal of reaching folks. And that to me is like, really hearing that not too long ago, was like really exciting to me. And it's a way that I think about our business now is like, yeah, there is the revenue thing, but like, what other tra- what are the things are we tracking for our business? Beautiful, ah, oh, beautiful. Well, Ethan, thank you so much for being here, my friends. He is an author of Amazon best selling books. One is called College Essay Essentials. The other one is called College Admission Essentials. These are best selling books on Amazon for college essays and college admissions. Um, his website, like he said, it's full of resources. It's incredible. And when I'm on there, I do see your creative spirit coming out. So I, I, I knew the answer to that when I asked it, but it's really lovely to see and so well organized, so well organized and easy to find what you're looking for. So, uh, Ethan, thank you so much for doing this and putting this work out in the world. And thank you for sharing yourself today with me and, um, hope to see you all soon. Thank you, Sharon. It's so lovely to talk to you. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love in themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.